Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website at whyagain.org, if you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage the use of these tools, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on the phone and or email us. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. 
And if we get a comment or question or an answer from you, a testimonial, we'll discuss it on the Internet show, and then, as time allows, send you a notification so you can check back to the archives and hear the feedback. And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service, and that's just so much easier to do when we hear from people about how is the choice of topic landing for them, how is the discussion landing, and um, what might we do to improve your ability to use these tools to benefit in your life. So this is my first day back in just about two weeks. I was away for a... uh, mini family reunion and then um, um, soon after returning home I had a partial knee replacement uh, surgery which was one week ago today and um, I have made uh, regular use of the tool the reality management worksheet Some of it was in preparation for the um, family reunion, which often sets us up to choose interpretations for things that resonate, traumas and toxins and upsets that we've carried with us for years. And I did a few worksheets and found some rather um, useful, very kind of enlightening insights from that process and um, and then I made uh, quite abundant use of the EFT tapping and uh, breath work in preparation for the surgery and the recovery for it and uh, from it etc so um, one of the one of the biggest things that that came to me to talk about today and it just came to me uh, from waking this morning was the idea that so many people that I work with over the years talk about how they don't want to do their worksheets out loud or they don't want to tell the people in their lives, family or friends, about their emotional issues because it will get used against them. And... um and I understand that completely. I've had that happen in the past. I've had uh, times where I've chosen to play things close to the vest, etc. Um, and what I've noticed in this past series of, I'd say the past couple of years, is I've reached a level of this uh, confidence in my core, the more I train myself to understand that nothing I experience emotionally is caused by anyone outside of me. Therefore, nothing anybody outside of me, uh, nothing the people outside of me are experiencing is caused by me. It gives me this kind of a liberty and this freedom so that in the most recent experience where I, I, I did a sharing and somebody decided to use it as a 
you might call it a leverage or a tool or a weapon against me, I just watched it happen with this equanimity, with this calm. And I said, oh, there's that old pattern. And it didn't trigger the upset in me that it used to, and it didn't have me start choosing a whole bunch of interpretations about I need to correct this for this person or I need to put them in their place or I need to educate them about how this these tools are to be used for yourself, not against somebody else. My calm, my peace, my uh, distancing from that was it was almost shocking when I, when I realized, oh, that happened, and that is the kind of thing that I would use to generate an interpretation that would have me chasing after a different outcome, trying to get the the other person to respond differently, hold them accountable, strike out at them, etc., or get more and more defensive and hide away and and uh, recommit to not sharing uh, you know, my work or my emotions with people, and none of that happened. I had a completely different experience. And um, so I just thought that, that that came to me this morning that would be a really useful thing to share because I, I understand I've had firsthand experience of people using my sharings against me in in kind of a weaponized form and how unpleasant that is and how unsettling and how I would frequently um, use that to move into a very defensive position. And so I, I clearly have reached a new level of inner calm and knowing the truth of these teachings, which is I create my own emotions and the people around me are creating theirs. And if somebody wants to use anything that I've said or done or shared as you know a weapon against me or as a tool or as a leverage, it doesn't have to affect me. It's not about me. So I have the this expanding kind of increasing liberty you might say to continue to be open and share my process even though somebody might choose to use it as a tool or a weapon or leverage against me and it doesn't when somebody tries to do that it only has the impact that I create from it right they don't they aren't creating an upset in me when they hear a sharing that I've given or hear me being honest about my emotions and then they try to tell me that, well, that's because I haven't done enough work or because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, if I take a negative impact from that, I create that even if they're doing it to try and get a rise out of me or to create some kind of a negative response. And it brings me back to that 
that adage that uh, came to me a, a number of years ago to say, please don't take offense, even if it's offered. In other words, even if somebody comes at you barking insults, swearing, accusing you of things, there is no need for you to generate upset in response to it, especially when you've gained that perspective and the understanding that whatever comes out of a person's mouth is only, always, and forever going to tell you more about what's going on inside that person than it's ever going to tell you about the world around or the people around them. And once you realize that, and and you feel your your the truth of how your core self, your essence, can't be harmed by what somebody else says or does or doesn't say and do that you think they should, and that the upset that you experience in any moment is a product of your choices in that moment, not a product of what they said or did. And the more grounded you are in the truth of that experience, the easier it is to feel compassion for yourself and them even when those situations arise. So, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Welcome comments, questions, answers, testimonials, comments about the choices of the replays that we made while I was away or anything else that's on your mind. We have plenty of time and um, it's uh, it's odd to it, just as it's odd to be away from something that you do one hour a day, five days a week for 12 and a half years, it's odd after you've been away for two weeks to come back. So let me know how you, what questions you have for me and or what would be of use to spend this next 45 minutes, what's been happening for you in the past couple of weeks. Good, bad, and otherwise, as you might interpret it to be. 563-999-3581. I just finished a session with somebody who was um, um, living out and, and watching in, in friends of his this the powerful dynamics of our ancestry and how we inherit these powerful dynamics, the ancient scriptures say, yea, unto three and four generations. But, you know, what does that mean? Where did the people three and four generations ago get theirs from three and four generations? So the, the patterns in our family dynamics, our strengths and skills and shortcomings as people, uh, they, they kind of tumble down the mountain toward us like an avalanche, except it's an invisible avalanche. We aren't, we aren't often able to see 
with any kind of clarity that this is coming from our ancestry. And um, it, uh, it, it had me in this session trying to help this person work through this dynamic. It had me uh, recalling an advanced family therapy course that I took after I had already been a doctorate and a licensed clinical psychologist. And it was with 13 other therapists. The least experienced of us in that group had over 15 years of experience working as a therapist. And we were masters and doctorate levels, licensed social workers, psychologists, etc. And we were working with a woman who was teaching us the genogram as a tool. And in the genogram as a tool, your interviewer will ask you to describe your family, your current family, your family of origin, their parents, their siblings, etc. And she draws this in a graphic format on a piece of paper, starting at the bottom for the current generation and moving up. And you put circles for women and squares for men and you put the number of the age of the person today if they're still alive and if they are deceased you put the number at the age of death and draw a line through it and so you you put on this your siblings your parents your aunts and uncles and cousins your grandparents and your great aunts and uncles, and, and you go back up as far as you as your memory takes you, and the interviewer asks these questions, and she just puts the information on the page. And then as she comes back down from the top, let's say you were able to have the names and ages and dates of death for everybody up to your great-grandparents. And then she comes back down and she starts asking you questions about what you know personally or from family stories about the relationships between these people. And she would make annotations with different colors and straight lines, solid lines, dotted lines, squiggly lines, etc. to graphically display the relationship dynamics in the family all the way down to the present level and to a person as we had this done to us we would sit there and report the data and this you know the, the the therapist would graphically represent it and everybody else in the room would start ooing and eyeing about the patterns they were seeing and we would be questioning what what do you what what do you see what do you, because we are blind to it and the most dramatic and, and everybody had that experience and there were several really powerful ones but the most dramatic was the woman who had convinced us all that her 12-year-old daughter was so antisocial and aggressive and violent that she should be sent out of the house to a residential treatment facility. And by the time, you know, eight or nine months into this class, when she had her turn 
we had most of us had agreed with her that she's tried everything and she's a therapist herself and she's done all this good work and so you know of course it's probably the best thing it's really sad but you have to protect the other kids etc and um then she gets up there and she draws her genogram and the uh the room erupts with a, a series of people gasping and saying, oh, my gosh, you can't send your daughter away. And she spun around and said, wait a minute, you agree with me. What do you mean I can't send her away? What are you talking about? This woman had detailed, without realizing it, that the family pattern in her family was that the second oldest female child for four generations had been sent out of the house between ages 10 and 13. She had been sent out of the house as the second oldest child to a neighboring county to live in somebody else's house to help with their child rearing. And she said, oh, no, no, that you don't, that, that's got nothing to do with my daughter's situation now. We lived on a farm, and of course they would send away the second oldest girl because she wasn't a boy. She couldn't work in the field. She, at that point, she'd just be another mouth to feed, and you've already got the older daughter to help with the babies. So of course they would send her away because she could go be of use someplace else. We're talking about 10 to 13 years of age. The girl sent away from her family simply because... She can't be financially a viable contributor. She had been sent away from her family to live in the next county and was raised away from her siblings for four or five years before she was able to move back or whatever it was. She could not see that that had any relevance to the clash between her and her second oldest daughter despite the fact that we kept saying, you don't live on a farm. If you send your daughter away, it's going to be the fifth generation in a row where the second oldest female child is sent out of the house right around this age. Please understand, this cannot be a coincidence. The power of our inherited patterns and the exquisite invisibility of them unless we've got some kind of a tool and the genogram is one of those tools or the reality management worksheet or the three early memories of conflict tool or the codependence interdependence tool that can let me get access to those things that I'm living with that are actually having a powerful impact on my life and yet are completely out of my range of vision. Sometimes even right after I've described it to somebody else or even as I'm describing it to someone else. The power of these cross-generational patterns I don't believe it can be overstated. So, um, 
please understand, if you're stuck and it's not making sense to you why you're stuck, there are probably really solid reasons. And they may not be at the conscious logical level. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty good guess that it's not at the conscious logical level. Because if it was, you would have seen it already. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that anybody who would listen to an Internet show like this, anybody who would stay through an entire Michael Rice workshop, even the the two-hour workshops or two-and-a-half-hour workshops, I'm going to go out on a limb and say anybody who would do that is at least average intelligence. Probably really good odds they're above average intelligence. As such, if the, the, the solution to whatever problem they were experiencing existed at the conscious logical level, they would have already seen it. They would have either figured it out by themselves or they would have said the things to other people in their lives that the it would have prompted the other people to say, oh, have you thought about this? And there would be the solution. We get stuck precisely because we can't see how our conscious logical thought and our patterns are the problem. There's the book about um, how to how to take these tools to uh, the same kind of tools that uh, Dr. Michael Rice offers to um, the corporate world. I think the title of the book is Leadership and Self-Deception. And I've read the, the intro to that book on this show before. Um, And in that, okay, so here it is. I was able to pull up very quickly. In the intro, in the preface, it says, For a long time, the issue of self-deception has been the realm of deep-thinking philosophers, academics, and scholars who were working on the central questions of the human sciences. And yet the public remains generally unaware of the issue. That would be fine, except that the self-deception is so pervasive that it touches every aspect of life. The word touches is perhaps too gentle a word to describe its influence. Self-deception actually determines one's experience in every aspect of life. The extent to which it does that, and in particular the extent to which it remains or it determines the nature of one's influence on and experience of others, that is the subject of this book. So to give you an idea of what's at stake, consider the following analogy. An infant is learning how to crawl. She begins by pushing herself backward around the house. Backing herself around, she gets lodged beneath the furniture. 
Once there, she thrashes about, crying and banging her little head against the sides and undersides of the pieces. She is stuck, and she hates it. So she does the only thing she can think of to get herself out. She pushes even harder, which only worsens her problem. She is more stuck than ever. Now, if this infant could talk, she would blame the furniture for her troubles. After all, she's doing everything she can think of. The problem couldn't be hers, couldn't possibly be hers. But, of course, the problem is hers, even though she can't see it. While it's true that she's doing everything she can think of, the true problem is precisely that she cannot see how she is the problem. Having that problem, nothing she can think of will be a solution. Self-deception is like this. It blinds us to the true causes of problems. And once we're blind, all the solutions we can think of will actually make things worse. Imagine this woman in the example I'm giving. She thinks she's doing the best thing for her daughter and the rest of the kids and the family and family harmony. And and yet if she sends that child away or if she did send that child away, it's just going to perpetuate a five-generation pattern of disruption and separation and trauma and abandonment and resentment that's been active in that family for five generations. But if she doesn't see how the experiences she's having with her 12-year-old daughter are driven by this invisible dynamic, then she does the best she can, which, just like the infant underneath the furniture, she pushes harder and bangs her head more, and it just makes her situation worse, not better. We are all like that. That is why there is such potential benefit in these tools. If we were simply conscious, logical creatures, there would be very little benefit to the reality management worksheet as a tool or the concept of targeted journaling like the my, the uh, what Michael Rice calls the mind shifter tool or the three early memories of conflict tool. There'd be almost no benefit to those if we only existed at the conscious logical level. And at the conscious logical level, we were able to be aware of everything that's going on for us. So, prompts me to come back to something that came to me a couple of years ago that was, my, do, my new definition for being stuck is if I'm having, experiencing a negative thought or a negative emotion. I can instantly know in that situation that I'm stuck. 
my new definition for being hopelessly stuck is that I'm arguing for that negative interpretation, that negative thought, that negative emotion. I have every right to be angry. Can you believe that this person used this, this information I shared as a weapon against me and blah, blah, blah? It's, it's perfect. If I do that, I'm going to stay stuck, hopelessly stuck, because I am not seeing in that moment how it's my choice of interpretation of what this other person has said or done that's generating my upset, not anything to do with what this other person says or does. So that's my offering so far for today, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone. Let me know you're out there, that you're hearing this broadcast for the first time in a couple weeks live. and or comments or questions about the sharing so far? And or have you ever had a situation where you shared openly and had the experience of someone trying to weaponize that sharing against you or use it against you as leverage in some way? And how did you experience that? What kind of emotional responses did you generate to that? And or did you enjoy any of the broadcasts that were replayed? Area code 541. Celinda here. Welcome, Celinda. Yes, your question about has anyone shared anything and had it turned used the information used as a weapon. Uh, Yeah, that was my experience with my good friend, the Episcopal priest, and that was a journey into forgiveness. I had to, I didn't have to do anything. It gave me the opportunity to look at my own behavior, and it gave me the opportunity to experience, once again, uh, issues like you mentioned, abandonment, resentment, um, a feeling violated, all of those feelings that come up, as you mentioned in that story about the the mother and the twelve year old daughter and um it I can say that the relationship is still going strong, that I'm still learning um because of the tools that I have been using and um uh, reflection the uh, uh, on my own patterns that I'm still learning um, how to discern the difference between sharing and preaching. When am I preaching? When am I sharing? And what is my stuff and what is the other person's stuff that I'm not um, responsible for their interpretation, but I am responsible for what I transmit. So I wanted to share that, yes, the tools are very helpful. Um, I'm very eclectic and panoramic in my approach, so sometimes I use Michael's tool, sometimes I use other tools, Louise Hay, 
um, Carolyn Mace, uh, Greg Braden, um, Neil Douglas Klotz. So it's just very nice to have all of those tools um, available. And I really appreciated uh, the interview with Richard Moss. I discovered that he was the one that wrote the Black Butterfly book that I think I might have mentioned once on the show. I'm not sure, but it's nice to know. I uh, ordered his two other books and something about sacred relationships or something like that. I ordered four of his books as a result, so thank you very much. You're quite welcome and deserving. Yeah, I, I caught a couple things when I was listening to that replay that uh, the idea of choosing the the interpretation, the filter. So if I choose to believe that I'm here because of a loving source or presence, then when something happens that I don't like or I find distasteful or uncomfortable and I go to that filter, I start I give myself the opportunity to ask, okay, so how might this be in my best interest in ways that I'm not able to discern right now? How can I spin that kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretation until it starts showing something more beneficial? And, um, you know, that's the, the kind of ties into something that happened within the past year, I think, on this internet show that somebody said please son pray that everything works out for everyone's or this this person's highest and best and when that was said that time in my head for the first time ever I thought oh I really want to start praying for the ability to see how everything is already working out for the highest and best rather than thinking my assessment of what's highest and best is going to be better than what's actually unfolding in life how do i how how can i get access to that perspective that lets me see the truth of myself the truth the true nature of whatever gave rise to me as a creator or a creative process and so I, I just uh, I still use that on a regular basis. Whatever's happening, however it unfolds, rather than praying that it works out for the highest and best, just have the assumption that life has been unfolding for at least on this planet for 13.84 billion years from that supposed Big Bang, even though that's been brought into question now, it's been around for at least 13.84 <laughs> billion years. Whether it began with a Big Bang or it was here any longer before that. And so all of that has led to me being where I am today. And I want to just assume, okay, it's con- going to continue to unfold and in ways that are creative and blessings beyond what I can imagine, and I just would like to be able to access that sooner rather than spending days, weeks, months, years, or decades bemoaning it and criticizing it and wishing it wasn't so, only to wake up 
years later to find out that thing I hated and didn't want was directly or indirectly responsible for some of the things that are the best things in my life today. So, I have another hand up. Are you willing to have me uh, turn on someone else's microphone? Oh, for certain. Or do you have more to add? Oh, I have more to add. Um, Real quick, one was Richard Moss's comment about the difference between hope and trust really hit me between the eyes. And um, and then uh, there was a Greg Braden uh, CD that I have that he mentioned his experience with a Navajo elder who took him to pray at a very sacred Navajo place. And the Navajo elder corrected him when he said, pray for he said, no, no, we pray it. We pray that which we are envisioning. Um, and he said, if I pray for, I am praying from a position of lack. And is that ever the hardest thing for me to remember? It is. I just. <laughs> and any time you say kaleidoscope, uh, Dr. Tim, it opens up for me the whole panorama of all that that I do not know and do not understand. And the last thing you said that triggered for me in a wonderful way is when um, I spend years, I spend, and that's what I'm dealing with now. I'm dealing with some health issues and uh, I, Louise Hay and her You Can Heal Your Body just bingoed it right on the button uh, of denying my own love and joy and that's connected to uh, this particular issue and I um, realized I spent hmm, 75 years of my life bemoaning that which I didn't have instead of um, being grateful and thankful for the two years when I did have it and I just think I'm looking at my whole life laying it out there and saying, look at all these choices you've made to continue being sad, to continue being abandoned, all of these other choices, resentful, whatever. And I just wanted to share that. And now I would love to hear what the other person would like to say. Or you. All right. Area code 610, you're in the air. Howdy, folks. Hi, Celinda. Hi, Dr. Tim. Hello, Susan. Okay, uh, where to begin? Loved the Prater Van talk. Loved the Guy Finley talk. I didn't relate so well to um, Richard Moss, so it's good to hear you um, summarize or, or mention some of the things that he said. But I had a couple of questions. One was, and also there was something, I think it was the way of mastery. One of the sessions was you, two sessions. One you were reading directly from the way of mastery and another was way of mastery plus commentary. And at one point, I forget where, and I can't even reword it, except that the voice of God comes in these little cracks 
between whatever else is happening. Do you remember what I'm talking about, Dr. Tim? In the space between thoughts? Yeah, right. That's like saying... Okay, go ahead. (laughs) That's like saying what? That's like saying a lot of what we are doing isn't God's thought. A lot of what we're doing is very much on the limited human plane. And I found that very comforting because that's my experience. Um, yeah, it's from the, if, the. It's like what we were talking about earlier in the intro is that at the conscious logical level, I experience my upsets because they were created mm-hmm. by me at the conscious logical level. And yeah. so the solution for them is not at the conscious logical level. It's at that insight, intuition, inspirational level. In that space between thoughts. Yeah. That's why every worksheet has me cancel the goal. Pay attention to what I'm doing with my thoughts to create the emotions that I'm upset about, that I don't want, that motivate me to pick up a worksheet in the first place. Be very clear about how that pattern of thought both generates the emotion I'm feeling and lays out for me what it thinks has to happen for me to have calm and peace and safety again. And then put all of that aside. Cancel it all. Your trifling treasures put away. Give, you know, stop everything you think you want, cancel all your goals, and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come or for inspiration to come or for creativity mm-hmm. to come. What was the word again? It sounded as if I pictured two huge rocks with a crack or one rock with a fissure in the middle. And that is the God thought that can come through between the huge rocks of our thoughts and upsets and whatever. That was just an image that popped into my mind. So, Beautiful that's image. A good one. So that's a good one. It was consoling because it was like acknowledging how much of us is us and and how we have to remember that there's a little slot in there where God's thoughts can come through. So I love it. <laughs> so, Doctor Tim, before I ask my other one, how is your knee? Are you walking? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I it's far better than I could have anticipated. Great. So, uh, you know. A week ago today, I was um, getting ready to go into surgery at this hour. Yeah. Just just one week ago today, and um, and of course uh, they send you home with these because um, they they slice the knee wide open, and as so they were going to do a full knee replacement. And then they just did the partial knee replacement, and they sew it back up, and then have an hour or two in the first recovery, and an hour in the next recovery, and then you get to 
walk upstairs and take some steps and Mm. and then they send you home and they send you home with these narcotics now you're able to do all of that because they've put nerve blocks in and they've given you an epidural Mm -hmm. and you know they when you first come out of the surgery uh, I couldn't even I couldn't move either leg wow and and, because that's the epidural right it's just it's completely anesthetized they can move it, and I wasn't feeling any pain, et cetera. And then eventually they had me, you know, sipping ice or water or whatever. And and I, I was fortunate I didn't have to have a general anesthetic. I just had the epidural and then the sleepy time meds. And then um, as soon as you're able to move your legs, they say, okay, let's assist you to get up and use the walker and come over here and walk down the hall and back and then up these steps and down these steps and up these steps and down these steps. How do you feel? Okay, go home. Wow. They give you a wheelchair to take you to the first front door and then you get in the car and you go home and and they say, now make sure you take your pain meds because that nerve block is going to wear off and you got to get ahead of it and it's narcotics, right? It's pain meds that are narcotics. Yeah. Right. So I did that for the first night dutifully because they you know they warn you you've got to take these narcotics the next day Mm. i took them again but by the night the second night right wednesday night surgery was tuesday i'm thinking well i don't need the full dose of pain meds that they're saying is possible and they said well you're Mm. a big guy so you should probably take two so i just took one And then for Thursday, I just took one. And then for Friday, I said, well, I don't need it in the morning. I'll only take it at night. And then Saturday, I just took Tylenol. And Sunday, I took Tylenol and said, well, if I don't have any pain meds in me, I can drive. So I take a drive to the to the office. It's seven minutes away. My support team was there in case I needed to say, okay, this isn't good, and or pull over and let somebody else drive. And I parked the car, and I got out, and I stood there, and I said, I'm in shock. It was less pain getting out of the car on Sunday morning than it was before the surgery. Wow. My 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 knee discomfort, the pain that had crept up on me over the years to be so much, and I tolerated it so much that after they do this major, you know, routing out of the femur and putting a plate in and scraping off the back of the kneecap and, you know, gluing some silicone thing on it and sewing it back up. After that, just days later, I stand up out of the car with greater ease and almost no discomfort. And wow. that's I'm, I, ever since then I've just been. And every physical therapist that's seen me said, oh, my God, you've got full range of motion. And I... I don't know. I'm not supposed to have full range of motion. And they said, well, it's just not normal. Okay. And then yesterday, <laughs> the, physical therapist, the physical therapist asked me, um, what is your diet like? And I said, well, oh. the, the short version is that I probably eat more raw vegetables than anybody you know, and I haven't had fast food in years. And, you know, mm. it's not an ultra-clean diet, but... It isn't the standard American diet. 
And then she launched into a 20-minute monologue about how that's probably why my knee is not so swollen and there's so much less pain because the salt that's been processed and the sugar that's been processed and all of these processed foods contain things that stimulate inflation markers in our body and create inflation that get into our joints and make recovering from surgeries difficult. She talked about it for 20 minutes, and she's absolutely convinced that's why that and perhaps the fact that I've been an athlete since I was in high school and I've been, until last summer, I would take 10 and 20 and 30-mile bike rides even up, you know, before last summer. And so, you know, the, the muscles around the knee mm. have more strength than the average person who undergoes mm-hmm. a process like that. So yeah, that's their best guess. But here I am. Uh, yesterday I had a full day of patience and... Um, I'll do the same today, and we'll try a support group tonight. If my stamina holds, um, the support group will go on because somebody else will be able to carry on if I need to go home a little early. But that's the update. Boy, that's great. And you don't find that you're more tired than usual? (laughs) That's one of the laughable things, right? I mean... But that's that's a laughable thing. You're that was that's exactly what I was expecting, right? I, I told everybody yeah. this week. Well, you know, I'll call you if I need to cancel, but we might as well tentatively schedule because I've never had a surgery mm-hmm. like this before. That certainly when I was this age, I mean, I had a a major surgery when I snapped that same ankle in half, and they had oh. to put in a plate and screws. But I was 45, and I was a very active mm-hmm. athlete at that time, mm-hmm. and um. So, anyway, I, I I only missed a couple days' work when that happened, but I had used the use of EFT tapping and NET work. I did a lot of the emotional work around it, so it healed faster than mm. the average person would. Yeah, my son so told anyway. me that if, if you're tired after a surgery, it's because your body is focused on healing that area, and you might be tired, so... But if you're not even tired, that's unbelievable. Well, I'm I'm a little more tired than normal. I took two naps yesterday. I was in the office from – I was here almost in time to do the show yesterday, but decided not to push it to get updates from my yeah. practice manager about patient notes, and there's a power issue in that. So then I had my <laughs> first patient at, at one – and and between mm-hmm. 1 and 8 p.m., I only had one hour off, and I had a half an hour nap before I saw my patient at 1, and I had about a 40-minute nap in that 5 to 6 o'clock hour, and, and I went home, and I was a little bit more tired than normal, but I was just amazed. Congratulations. That's a good yeah, well, report. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. And your the outlook is, I mean, that's it, right? You're good to go for the duration with no problems, probably. Well, we're hoping. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen as it unfolds, but they they tell you that you're going to have like six weeks of physical therapy and Mm-hmm. You're supposed to have two weeks at home, and the first time the physical therapist came to the house, she said, "I don't think I need to see you." 
Wow. She was just, you know, she was ga- she was just gaga about the fact that she said, "Try lifting <laughs> your 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 leg," and I pulled my knee up and it, you know past my waist, and she said, "What? You've got full range of motion." So that's so good. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, that's wonderful news. So cautiously optimistic that the recovery will continue. And um, a week from today, I go see the surgeon for the first time since the surgery. And they didn't even put staples or stitches in. They just glued it. And then they put a waterproof bandage over it. So there's not even a big, thick bandage on the knee. Mm -hmm. Is that still on? Yeah, that's going to just basically wear off in the next six weeks or whatever. Oh, I see. And and they won't do anything to it unless there's some indication that there's an infection or a problem. But they 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 I, I can see why they like this because it lets them look right at the incision. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting and here talking feel- to you, and I'm. I'm just putting my hands right on top of the incision, and I'm able to see right through the Band-Aid and see it's just a little bloodline that's, you know, like 10 inches long. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, lucky is as lucky does. (laughs) And I'll I'll take it. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, all things work. You've done a lot of things right, obviously. Yeah, well, that, I, 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 I'm cautious to say that because I know people have been very healthy and they're athletes and this and that, and then they have a big, big heart attack or something. Or so I'm not okay. going to say, oh, I know I did this, but I'm sure glad it's working yeah. the way it's working. Oh, it's great. Good. Well, it's good to have you back live. All right. Well, thanks. It's good to hear that. Uh, it's lovely to hear your voice, and you, thank you and you, Selinda, for the comments. And I look at the clock and realize we're down to our last minute and a half. So I will mute you both, and thank you for the call. And remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. So good to hear that update. Thank you. I'm glad you're doing you're so. You're very well. welcome and deserving. Yeah, I'm. I just. I, I don't know what to say about it. I'm just, you know, counting my lucky stars. Uh, you're blessed. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Well, have a wonderful show. Thank you. Welcome back. So, welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio, and today is Tuesday. August the 29th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions. Because that makes this your step. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in and say I'm making some changes on the website, and the website is um, running really slow, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but I keep working on it, and um, I, at this time, I'm going to welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here, that we get to keep having this conversation about 
first century Aramaic forgiveness and all the tools that correlate with that genius piece of work that arrived on planet Earth about 2,000 years ago. Would have been nice to have been here personally to welcome it uh, instead of having to take all these years to understand it by going through the, uh, the filter called the English language, which is a pretty bizarre filter when you compare it to the Aramaic. But we've arrived at a place where we're getting a deeper and deeper understanding on an ongoing basis. Personally, I feel really blessed that uh, we've had the opportunity to focus the last 50 years on this amazing, amazing material that opens a space so wide for healing that it's just beyond comprehension. And, of course, the, the objective of everything that we do in this work is to upgrade the state of being, the state of health, and to support each person involved in doing that work. And, of course, the, the core of it, if we go to the opening words in the book of John where the Greeks tell us it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. In Aramaic, that's not what it says at all. But what it does say is in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. And as you realize that, you realize that literally your thoughts are the energetic patterns that on a quantum physics level create your physiology and your world. That's what the quantum physicists are telling us that's what medicine is telling us that's what truth points to and if you want to continuously upgrade your health then the first and most important thing you can if you're going to change one thing is continuously monitor and upgrade your thoughts now there are lots of ways to monitor your thoughts you can do it just by observing your language the language you use will tell you a whole lot you listen to people who introduce ideas of violence, and what you know is those people are about generating and creating violence in their world. You listen to people whose conversation is about you know, experience, experiencing oneself as love and moving forward in the world as the presence of love, and you realize that that person is about something other than creating violence. There was someone who wrote a book, and oh, I wish, you know, when, when, I, when I wrote Why Is This Happening to Me Again and, and checked to see if the title was available, I, I was so delighted because it was such an obvious title for a book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again. And there's another title that I wish I had thought of and written the book, but I didn't, but somebody did write it, and it's a good book. It's called You Can't Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought. I wish that had been my title, <laughs> but I'll cancel my goal for that and recognize that if you play the game, now no matter what the stimulus is, you can blame everybody in the world for all the negative thoughts you think, all the pissy thoughts you think, all the angry thoughts, all the frustrated thoughts, all the blame thoughts you think, but guess who's thinking them? And guess who gets to live with the physiological effects of it? Yes, your mind will generate pictures about how it's all about somebody else and don't hold me accountable, don't make me look. 
But if you don't start looking at the way you avoid your life, if you don't start looking at your negative thoughts, it's a way to destroy your physiology. So the the first step in health is to continuously monitor and up, pardon me, monitor and upgrade your thoughts. Really, literally looking at every thought you think. And if you find yourself thinking a, a nasty thought, you say, well, but I'm thinking that nasty thought about Bill. Well, guess what? If Bill's not resonant with your nasty thought, you're the only one that's going to get the impact of that nasty thought, you and anybody else that's in resonance with it. You can pretend it's about somebody else, and you can point the finger at them, and you can point the breath at them, and you can rage at them all you want. But guess who's getting the chemistry of the thought? Literally, that's what Bruce Lipton, cell biologist, look up some of his work. Go to YouTube. There are lots of videos by Bruce Lipton. And what he's showing as a cell biologist, biologist, pardon me, is when you think a thought, that thought produces a molecule. And that molecule literally circulate, circulates around in your structure until it finds a receptor site that matches. And when it finds a receptor site that matches the thought, that's in resonance with the thought, then it lands on the receptor site. Landing on the receptor site creates a thing we call emotion. When that energy connects with the receptor site, there's a flash of energy that is emotion. And if your emotion is in the pits, then you know that your creative process is in the pits. doesn't matter whose picture's in your mind, who you're focused on, who you're looking at, who you think you're thinking about. When that neuropeptide lands on your cell, the reason you're feeling disturbance, pain, upset, fear, rage, guilt, grief, condemnation, gossip, slander, whatever it is, is because that neuropeptide containing a disintegrated thought just landed on a cell, and the cell is saying, ouch. Stop the pretense and stop pointing it at everybody else. What kind of thoughts do we need to face? What ultimately has to happen? Carl Jung said, the demise of society will not be from a physical threat, but rather from a mass delusion, a collective psychosis. Quote, greater than all physical dangers are the tremendous effects of delusional ideas which are yet denied all reality by our world-blinded consciousness. And you remember in the codependence workshop, we talked about all the pseudo-solutions the mind's got. If I could just blame you, if I could just make it about somebody else. Young goes on to say, our much-vaunted reason and our boundlessly overestimated will are sometimes utterly powerless in the face of unreal thoughts. Remember that, that one of the solutions is obfuscation. The mind will become an expert at spewing puke on whoever's present to avoid dealing with what's real in the moment. Bringing a, a, a pointed thought disorder out and all of a sudden, well, let's talk about 47 other times when it happened. Obfuscation, it's a way to not deal with the simple fact that 
something's off base and we need to look at it. It takes great courage in our minds, our generations and generations of who knows what. But just kind of take a look at your power person if you're not sure. And it can be a bitter pill to swallow. But there's no escaping that bitterness if you're going to clean up your life. And and recognize that when you're feeling it, you're feeling it because it is in you, not because of what somebody else did. You know, we've we've read several times over the years, and it feels appropriate to read it again from Francois Fenelon. This gentleman lived, I'm not sure exactly what year this was written, but he lived from 1651 to 1715. And here's what he said. As the light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We're amazed at our former blindness. As we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful feelings, like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. That's not pleasant stuff to feel, but there comes a point where you have to grow up and become an adult and go, I'm feeling it because it's in me. Not because somebody brought it up in me. And if I don't like it, in me is what needs to be changed, not the person who brings it up for me. Fellon goes on and says, we never could have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we're filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. In other words, it's a wonderful thing because you're becoming aware. And when you become aware, you can actually change the game. Wake up time. And so the tool applied, should you choose to use it, should you choose to be responsible for the output of your own mind, It's called forgiveness. And what forgiveness does is it collapses the output of the mind. It's got nothing to do with other people, got nothing to do with letting other people off the hook. So there's a work to be done for each and every one of us. And if you want to experience a peaceful world, then everything that's unlike peace must be faced and ultimately removed. And one of the things that this requires is looking at the generational patterns. Note that when you're under stress, 
the things you do will be exactly what your power person did to you that you hated the most. That can be a tough nut to swallow. If you haven't started to use the forgiveness tool as yet, we invite you to go to our website, whyagain.org, and if you go to the upper left-hand corner of the page, the home page, there's a link that says Start Here. If you click the Start Here link, that will start to walk you through everything that we know about forgiveness. Ultimately, if you really want to move through it, there are about 20,000 pages on that website. And that's what, if you're really interested in moving through it, will act as your guide. And, of course, we're here five days a week to answer questions and to support you in that process. Healing is not Dr. Feelgood. Most people don't want to go there, but it can be done with understanding. And as you do that, then you are restored to the truth of who you are. And the truth of who you are is that you're created of the essential nature of love. Whenever there's hostility or fear, it's a cover for the presence of love. And, of course, one of the games that a lot of people play is they'll cut off somebody else's head in order to appear a head taller. When one chooses to degrade another or makes the decision to degrade another, it's because that individual doesn't want to look at the truth inside of themselves. becomes your pursuit, then more and more opportunities to learn the truth will come, and sometimes they'll come disguised as opportunities to learn forgiveness. Sometimes they'll come disguised as frustration and anger and rage and fear. You know, everybody's heard the saying that love is the answer. But who wants to do the hard work of facing the parts of themselves that are unloving? And so often people will, under the guise of love, unconverted, continue on their violent path of fear, intimidation, and destruction in the name of love. When we're told that Yeshua said you're supposed to love your neighbor, 
If you look at the Aramaic passage there, it doesn't have anything to do with loving your neighbor. It has to do with you being the space of love in the presence of your neighbor. neighbor pardon me. It's a major piece of work. The most profound and powerful way that I have been able to uncover to consistently and persistently open the unconscious dynamics in the mind, collapsing the hostility and fear-based dynamics of the mind on a regular basis. When that becomes a habit, then the fear-based mind tends to begin to disappear. And when the fear-based mind begins to disappear, it is replaced by the natural mind of man, and that is the mind of love. The habit mind run by power person dynamics is not your best advisor. In fact, because that habit mind is based in fear, it's something to literally be cast out in the ancient, and if you think in terms of the ancient teachings. Perfect love casts out fear. They were talking about fear literally as though in that context that we're a demon. So when do we wake up to our purpose and recognize who we are as human beings? And then begin to listen to that internal capacity, that inner voice, was referred to as a still small voice. And it was referred to as a still small voice because in the presence of a raging, grieving mind, it's, it's a voice that can hardly be heard. Each and every one of us is designed to live with love presence in our minds and in our physiology, 24-7, 365. And 2,000 years ago, when they asked the man, Yeshua, well, how do you tell where somebody's at? He said, just look at their fruit. Look at the results. Are they living in fear and hostility continuously, or are they living in love continuously? Look at your generations. I'd offer that the purpose of life is to heal us, to show us what we're holding and give us the opportunity to work through whatever it is that we're holding that's unlike love. This energy converter called the mind will build images of others out of whatever we have moving inside of us when there is upset or disturbance in the mind. If we live in a state of block to truth where we call lies truth, you made me mad, then we prohibit the mind from ever being able to see truly. And 
when you associate what you're feeling with what the image is in your mind, then the tendency is to play the blame game. As your interest in truth grows, you start to look within and clean up what's going on inside. You realize that forcing another to change so you don't have to feel the effects of your own thought is pretty futile. So ultimately, one must work through every assumption that was a lie to face from that space of being with, with love present one by one the projected results of a mind based in the past in fear and hostility. And ultimately, you get to transmute every projected lie not just of your own life, but the generational lies and prejudices. By questioning every energy that you engage in that's off the mark, you get to upgrade in stages everything that is unlike loving you. And as that book title I mentioned earlier, said, you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. You've got to be continuously on guard, upgrading your thoughts, upgrading, upgrading. You want a youth instead of age? Every degrading thought puts another wrinkle in your structure. And ultimately, this work requires facing, dealing with, and healing every thought disorder in the bloodline literally opening a space of healing for the generations. When you give up living by beliefs and you live by truth, you know, beliefs are nothing but thought complexes. They're just a, a series of thoughts that are tied together that support a particular conclusion. But if there is hostility or fear of any kind involved in that game, then the confusion, the conclusion, pardon me, is always false. Healing means serenity comes to the mind and the body. And you get to extend that serenity to everyone. To literally become a healing force in the world is one of the objectives of this particular body of work. So recognizing a perception, the output of the mind is a construct. It's a series of pictures and sensations generated by the mind to show us the mind's unique interpretation of what's going on in the world. If you find a theme in what's going on, then recognize that theme is about you. Suffering, anger, fear, rage... All of these emotions are constructs, structures that are often passed on from previous generations of the mind, nothing more than that. The world resonates those energies in the mind, but they have to be in there to be resonated in the first place. The 
So everything we see in the window of perception is an interpretation of our mind, and each interpretation tells us more about the content of our minds in the world that we have been taught or believe that we're looking at. If it isn't love, it isn't out there, it's in here. Prevailing interpretations of reality generally come from the king. You notice we have certain people in our culture that are acting more and more like kings every day and have proclaimed they want to be kings. And the king wants to have people believe and live a certain way. And it's not usually for the benefit of those people. So it's power that sets up the prevailing realities of the day. The objective of this work and the direction we're supporting in the world. There's a, uh, a, a quote that I ran across from a person named Shannon Elder, Alder, pardon me, Alder. Your perspective on life comes from the cage you were held captive in. Perspective on life comes from the cage you were held captive in. If you were held captive in a cage of hostility and fear, then your perspective is probably going to be pretty regularly hostile or fearful. One of the big symptoms of that is blame. So often we see power restricting. No, you're not allowed to see that. You're not allowed to read that. You're not allowed to look at that. And what do we have? We have someone trying to control people's minds. Robert Heinlein wrote a book called Stranger in a Strange Land. Another book of his goes back in the 1940s. It's entitled, If This Goes On, and he says, when any government or any church, for that matter, undertakes to its, say to its subjects, this you may not read, this you must not see, you are forbidden to know. The end result of that is tyranny and oppression, no matter how holy the motives. Mighty little force is needed to control a man whose mind has been hoodwinked. Contrarywise, no amount of force can free a man. Pardon me, no amount of force can control a free man. A man whose mind is free. Not the rack, not fission, not bombs, not anything. You can't conquer a free man, he says. The most you can do is kill him. And, you know, here we are in America in an age, once again, of book banning. Isn't that interesting? Robert Heinlein really had that one down pat. And so what's happening in your world with this work? 
Are you putting the pen to the paper? Are you using the app? Is there any way we can support you? Kind of exciting challenges are you having? Our calling number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show directly. And then if you push 1, that raises a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us. We do have a hand up. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody? that you said uh, you wished you had gotten the title of at the beginning? Oh, um, you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. <laughs> I just thought that was such a great title. <laughs> and, you know, uh-huh. you can't because the f- thoughts become our chemistry and our physiology. Uh-huh. At least you can't if you want to be healthy. So you've got a hand up, sweetheart? We do. And it is a voice oh, great. Let's from say hello. Michelle, 248, you're on the air. Hey there, guys. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jeannie. Welcome. Long time no here. How are you? Good. I just um, got back from five weeks in Mexico. I told Jeannie I'd want to um, call in about something that happened right before I left. And um, Mm. it was kind of interesting. And so I just wanted to process it a little bit with you guys. Great. How can we support um, you? It was it was kind of like an observation, and I don't know if I'm um, downplaying it or what, so let's just tease it out. Uh, okay. In the middle of July, maybe, I came home one day to find out that my laptop had a black screen. And I took it to Best Buy. I have a subscription to... Geek Squad, and basically they told me this rare occurrence that my computer crashed, lost my hard drive, don't have any backup, and basically lost 20 years of pictures and data of my life. Ouch. So this was so, like, unthinkable that this could happen, and it was my own responsibility and lack of mm, responsibility to Mm -hmm. protect this. And um, the first couple days were rough because it was more like shock. I mean, it's the death of something, really, in my estimation. Yeah, that's major. When people talk about the burning house, what do they grab, right? The photo albums. Right. And... There was the first night, I, I remember I woke up in the middle of the night crying. I didn't even know until I woke up and I was crying. And it was interesting, though, but, but beyond that first couple of days, I think that, like, 10 years of forgiveness work allowed me to, like, survive, which is something that I think would, like, devastate and destroy most people. And... Mm-hmm. I'm using those words, and so that I'm hearing myself going, hmm, am I? And that's kind of what I'm, like, wondering. If if I don't think about it, I'm okay. If I focus too hard on I can generate a lot of fear. But then also I wonder a spiritual lesson about detachment. And you know what I had to do with Mark, and so now it's like a different layer. And 
the funny thing is I had a friend helping me declutter and downsize and trying to help me minimize like my stuff. And this happened like right in the middle of like cleaning out the garage. And I'm like, energetically, what the hell is going on here? Because my previous life is dismantled. And I know that ultimately it's a good thing intellectually to let go. And, you know, how many times have I really ever looked at those pictures? Never once in 20 years. And the key ones that I've ever, ever had, right? I post on Facebook, so I've got, it isn't like I never have a picture of myself or me or the kids. And technology was in my favor because everything before five years old is on film in 35 millimeter, and I've got books and books of stuff. Right. So it's just interesting, the Mark era, the 20 years of Mark is wiped, like the week after he died. Not even. Mm -hmm. So it's like all just very curious to me. So, I mean, I was super upset and I tried to work through it, but then also I look at it like, God, you should be more upset because that's like huge. (laughs) So, um, I also thought that if I put some type of request out there and explain to folks about what happened, then I'm sure I could get, um, you know, all the pictures back from different people who they've touched, whether it's my trips to India, Peru, or the kids' friends who have, like, pictures of them when they're little. Right. I just kind of wanted to share that and maybe talk it out loud. Okay. One of the first thoughts that comes, and this is you know, solution possibility. You know, there are recovery services that can take a, a dead hard drive and take information off of it. Have you looked into Yeah, that? I know. You know, it was a good um, suggestion another person gave me as well. And um, by the time I learned about those options, I had already um, had them wipe and reinstall to, like, get a computer back. And I didn't know that that was something that... Um, maybe like a higher level of engineering than Geek Squad would acknowledge. Yeah. I don't know. They assured me they, you know, did like data recovery points and those weren't available. And so I kind of just accepted their word on that versus yeah. trying to hail Mary sending my computer. Yeah. Yeah. You read, you reused the same hard drive. Mm-hmm. Ah. Okay, well then that's that's options gone. So the next the next place that I would invite you to go is wh- what I, I assume you've done some forgiveness work around it. What's been the focus of your forgiveness work? I would, it's it's I feel it's interesting because it's more about like I was irresponsible or naive, you know. And, so there's some blame in there? Yeah, and the consequence I Have you done worksheets like, on blame? No. <laughs> Calling me. Okay. Well, well, there's but, your but pen. Now you got your I... pen in hand, right? We're going to take notes, right? <laughs> worksheets, okay, self-blame. Sure. Hey, listen, but wait, wait, can I tell you this part about my son? I asked him, and he's like, I don't even care. Like, no big deal. Like, I, I, I'm devastated, and he's not. Yeah. So well, like, he doesn't am I, have the who same am I goals holding you have. myself accountable to. Yeah. So so notice that he doesn't have the same goals you have. 
nor the same thought disorders you have. It sounds like <laughs> you'd like him to join you in your suffering, like you'd like him to have the same pain and suffering as you would. You might ask yourself how sane that is. Are you breathing? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm looking for a piece of paper to write. Um, Breathe. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess the the goal. I mean, the first goal that comes up is to be perfect, right? Because it wouldn't be a mistake. Good starting point. And a good mind shifter to help you to surface the thought disorders underlying that might be, if you have your pen handy. Mm -hmm. I have always been responsible for every detail of my life. especially when it comes to preserving my past. So the first part of that sentence brought up some, you know, thoughts where I was in resistance to that and I can see, like, how I take care of myself. I'm certainly not perfectly responsible. But then this part about especially when it comes to preserving my past, that's where I feel like there's some dilemma in the sense that, like, there's a part of me that feels compelled to preserve the past and the part of me that knows that that is folly. So that's what you want to write on the right-hand side of the page. (laughs) Does that even make sense, though? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's called a conflicted mind. Sure. Makes perfect sense. That's why you're doing a mind shifter around it. To allow those things to surface so that you can step back. Remember, one of the objectives of the work is to become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. So to be able to step back, so as you write that and you can you can now, you know, as you deepen, you know, I would say with this one that you should take a, a block of time where your phone is shut off for at least four hours and you just sit and write. And let yourself touch into all of the thought disorders that you hold around loss. And be thankful that your son doesn't have those same thought disorders. Now, this is, um, I'm glad um, that I kept it. Like the commitment, I told Jeannie that I wanted to talk about this, and I guess I'm ready now. So, I mean, I'll, I'll work on these things and, and revisit you guys um, when I get a little more clarity to provide some, com- like, feedback or whatever. Does that mean you're exiting? 
No, it just means I'm acknowledging the support and my commitment to follow through. I have always been perfectly responsible for every detail, especially when it comes to preserving my past. And then another mind shifter? Well, luckily my paper has two sides. Go on. <laughs> you came to this big issue without paper. Is, is that big life issues? Um, sometimes I show up without even knowing the questions that need to be asked, so it's just kind of letting it unfold. I was happy yeah. with the step to actually press one. <laughs> cool. So how about another mind shifter? And that one I would offer would be, it's safe and healing for me to live. Without memory or memories. Well, that can turn up a lot. Actually, it reminds me Because, you know, if you, of, if you um, did that, you know, go ahead, excuse okay. me. No, I'll tell you after. So if you were to recognize that carbon-based memory, you know, CBM, that's what we call it, carbon-based memory, wants it's to live its life, though it's not alive, through you. And, and I shouldn't really say wants because it doesn't have a wanter, but that's what it's been trained to do. And to kick up a fuss if it's not getting what it's been trained that it's supposed to get. But what if you considered living a life where you were able to totally, completely collapse and throw that away and then the option you had left was to simply live in the mind of God for eternity. What if you forget? Well, that's the idea. What if there was no reason to remember? What if you had a mind that was so profoundly... What's the word? Um gigantic compared to the one you rely on, the one with all its pain and turmoil. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were turning to rather than the one that says, I want what I want when I want it. And spews pain if you don't get it. What if you just had a mind that was absolutely, totally, completely immersed in and connected to active present love and had access to everything that has ever happened in the universe directly. That's, yeah, that's super appealing. That sounds like a classic records action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what the cheap copy of that is? Carbon-based memory. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it feels like um, reminiscence of old conversations with you and Rex and, right, being aligned in love in the moment and then, right, going through the battlefield of bullets because everything that you need to be guided or know is provided. Yes. 
So the, the story that resonated when you said for um, it's safe and healing for me to live without memories, without memory or my memories. Um, I had a mm-hmm. client one time, a young college girl, and she was working as a CNA in a nursing home. And uh-huh. it was just a small unit of maybe eight patients. And she was put there a lot. And they try to keep the same. lady that came with for a while. And, they they um, try to keep they, your voice cut out there for a second, Michelle. They try to keep the same. Like the workers, like so, she was consistently put in the memory unit so that there okay, would be familiarity yep. with the staff and the and the patients. Sure. So yep. you know, over time, that she kind of like had her favorite people and befriended them because she would interact with them all the time. And um, so one day, she said that this old lady had a very serious look on her face and, and asked her, she's like, I have a question. And the young girl said, okay, sure, what's up? And she goes, I can't remember. Can you tell me, was I a good person? Mm. And I started bawling in the therapy room. <laughs> like, the college girl was like, what the fuck? And I was just like, mm. oh, my God, for whatever reason, that just felt so... Um, Say odd to me, memory of her life. So that's Sounds like said a that. really like, good oh, worksheet topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd go after that sadness and clean it out from my store. I think um, my core fear isn't abandonment. I think my core fear is loss of meaning. So I would do worksheets around loss of meaning after I did my worksheets on abandonment. Seeing as how that's the, they're the first brain cells, denial attached, it's not this. But since they're the first brain cells that came, I'd be doing some well, work around I say that because I always thought it was, and then I did, like, a deeper level of work with um, some folks and got some, like, deeper exploration. So, I mean, I can, and I also think that loss of meaning trumps abandonment, which, which is, I mean... Loss of meaning is like abandonment from everything, where abandonment is like the loss of the people. That's why I suggested you do. That's why I suggested you do the abandonment work first. Notice that the the core issue that you say you're talking about is focused in abandonment. The one you wanted to do first is focused in the one that you spoke of first. Loss of meaning is abandonment of everything. Right. Okay. The mind's always telling us. The mind's always talking about what its core issue is. And when I put the word not in front of it, that's a way that I try to hide that from myself. But the, the focal point still comes up. Good practice. Well, yeah, those are my updates. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, welcome home, and I hope your time in Mexico was was fabulous. Oh, yeah, no, Alyssa um, flew out there for the last week. So I took nice. her to all my um, my special places. And how is she doing? Um, she's got some challenges going on. She recently moved to Grand Rapids, so she's been on her own before, but this is like a new independence that she's exploring. Mm. Well, when you talk to her, tell her we're extending love in her direction, holding the space for her. Yeah, I would definitely um, share that. I mean, yeah. And if um, she needs any support, we're here. A reminder of that. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I don't know if I'm the most effective person to support her right now anyway than her brain self. Are you are you uh, saying that you've been giving her some opportunities to learn forgiveness? Or, or has she been giving you opportunities to learn forgiveness? Oh, totally mutual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Matching bags of garbage. How cool is that? <laughs> right, right. What it, my, my Dolby sound and... What do you call it, a chrome color? Yeah. So, I appreciate um, you spending the time to kind of process that with me and give me some new direction. Delighted, delighted. Glad to be here. Holding the space. So um, this is like, I don't know if you would ever remember this, Rex would, um, where every time that I went to Heartland over the last 10 years or Heartland, you know, Annex in Oak Island or right. Florida or yep. whatever, every single time I came back, there was dead chickens. It became almost like humorous because whether it was, you know, family neglect or cunning wildlife there was always some kind of chicken massacre and nobody could keep the chickens as well as me. Right. Like, and, and Rex and I would talk about like the death of different aspects and just have how it manifests or whatever. So I was so excited yesterday because it was my first morning back and I went out to see my chickens. And when I went in the pole barn, because son didn't collect the eggs as religiously as mom would, and the broody hens hatched the baby. Oh, cool. So in all the years, that's never happened when I've gone away and come back. So I figured mm, I'm New level of life something, unfolding. Right? Something, something juicy. Well, you know, when you let go of the past, oftentimes that makes a space. Yeah, I have a friend who's reminding me of that, that I um, would do well to let go of some things from the past. So I'm trying to support myself by getting um, other people to kind of give me a leg up on that. Yeah. So remember one of the, uh, if you listen 
to the lesson. If you haven't listened to it recently, you might want to go check it out and give it a listen. In the Course in Miracles, what is the world? And actually, we used to have only a 30-minute piece on our Facebook, or pardon me, on our YouTube channel. But um, we recently did, I don't know if you know, we've been doing a, uh, a study group with a book study group in London, England. And we've been doing Why Is This Happening to Me Again for over a year, and we did some Course in Miracles work. And one of the lessons that we have a two-hour video on in the Course in Miracles is What is the World? And in the context of this conversation, you might just jump on our YouTube channel and look at that. It's under Hear My Voice Book Club and What is the World? And one of the things that the Course talks about is, in fact, the opening line in that lesson is, the world is false perception. It is born of error. It has never left its source. And it will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. Perception is a skill made up by you to take the place of what the Creator gave you in creation. What if you chose, and, and this is a projection question, it's something that I started to work on about a year ago. What if you chose to live in a world without perception? If you trusted enough to let go of perception itself, the world that you made up, And that would make a space for the actual world of the Creator to enter your awareness. Could you find some willingness for that one? I'm, I'm trying to conceptualize it, though. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one because we're trying to conceptualize it with perception. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So let's see. That's where we're going to be without perception. Let me see if I can perceive that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's definitely a a tricky one. So is is that um, would you say that's like equivalent to radical acceptance? Um, I don't know exactly what radical acceptance is. So I just I made that up. That. I just made it up. Oh, the idea okay. of acceptance, okay, well. but like radically. Kind okay, of like with your, me, your, that's your, what it fits. Well, if you don't have a perception, that seems to me equivalent to not having a judgment. Yeah, there wouldn't be any judgments if there was no perception, correct. So then that seems like acceptance. And that seems like, well, those are all synonyms. Conscious and awareness, synonyms. Works, works for me. Okay, then we're on the same page, and, Michael. And it would that, mean... That's good and, for one. <laughs> and it would mean that you'd actually be living in the world the Creator created directly rather than the uh, intermediary you put between it. We all have, not you as an individual, but all of us have put between us and the world that the Creator created. So I'll leave that thought with you and hold the space, and the show has just warned us that we're complete and it's going to cut us off in a moment or so. So thank you for calling in. It's nice to catch up a little bit. Again, welcome home. And have a blessed one. Okay, thank okay. you, Michael. Bye, Jeannie. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See you. Patches a little.
Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.